This evening, we're again blessed with the opportunity to assemble as we are, to appreciate just how rich and grand is that privilege, because indeed, as we've already noted in prayer, as well as some of the messages of these songs, it's been a blessing already, and for the next few moments, we can at least reflect on a portion of the Word of God to be challenged and encouraged by, and probably tonight's lesson, at least once we get into this question, it will certainly be a bit on the unusual side, but nonetheless one that I think will be very encouraging in yet so many ways. As you know, I've already noticed, it is time for questions and answers. I try to reserve the fourth Sunday night of each month for that particular purpose. And as always, feel free to make use of the box there in the foyer to drop a question in there if something crosses your mind. Always happy to feel them and to develop them in terms of the sermon for at least that time of the month. The lesson text tonight was read from Genesis, the 10th chapter. And a moment ago, as Brother Eddie read that, we were drawn attention to a division that's under description. If I could again read that particular passage for us. And unto Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days was the earth divided. And his brother's name was Joktan. And immediately there's a reference, an indication, about a division with respect to earth. And tonight's question is going to revolve around that idea, that subject, about the division that took place. In fact, on this next slide, as we begin to ponder the character of the question, let me go ahead and read it exactly as it was presented. Sometimes there is discussion of all the land masses of the world having once been connected in a large land mass called Pangaea. What does the Bible say about this? So the idea is this. The person who suggested the question asserted that there is quite often a reference. And by the way, this is rather common in school books that our youngsters, in fact, are faced with even as it relates to middle-age science books. So the idea is, was there once a time when all of the continents of earth were basically together and there was one landmass? Today, of course, we have seven continents that each are rather distinct and widely separated, sometimes by tens of thousands of ocean-going miles. Was there once a time when all the continents were together as one? The name often given to that one continent is Pangaea, and so tonight let's discuss that for the next few moments. In fact, that particular question was sufficiently involved, it will be the only question of the night. So that'll take us through the fullness of our time this evening, and there'll be a few maps we'll consider and a few passages of the Bible that'll cast a spotlight on some of it. The first part of this slide before you at this point makes this observation. I would wish you to consider a map. Currently, you and I often learn in school that there are seven continents that are, in fact, on the surface of our planet. North America and South America, Europe and Asia, Africa, Australia, and Antarctica. Now, those being the seven, if you take a look at a map, for instance, this one, you begin to notice a few things. There are those who have made well observation that it looks as if it could almost be noted that they are the pieces of a puzzle, and maybe at one time it was easily to be appreciated that they fit together. For example, Notice here, this particular western edge of Africa, well, it certainly seems as if it wouldn't be far-fetched for that whole thing to just slide right on into here. And maybe Africa could easily have been seen to nicely combine with 
or at least easily appreciate such with respect to both North and South America. By the same token, it'd be easy to appreciate Australia fitting right into somewhere between Africa and the southern part of Asia. One more time, as you give thought to all of that, it seems as if Greenland fits rather nicely into Europe. Well, maybe enough has been said. If you were to appreciate those land masses as being somewhat possibly interconnected, does the Bible have anything to say about that? Was it really that way at one time? Or maybe is it mere happenstance? Is it coincidence? Or does it have anything at all to do with anything otherwise that might be noted biblically? Certainly a fair question. Let's revisit the previous slide. As I pointed out there on that early part of the slide, it seems as if at least it would be imaginable that maybe the continents did fit together at some time. Furthermore, you may notice, interestingly, I have another map I would wish you to consider. Now, one more time, could I invite you to notice? Here is another map. Let me slide forward past the one that we just noted. If you do imagine them put together, maybe something like that wouldn't have been out of the question. You can again easily notice that North America up to the top left what we would now recognize as South America to the bottom left, Africa fitting right into where we imagined it might have been, you'll notice that Antarctica and Australia as well as India folded off onto the bottom right, as well as, again, Eurasia with Greenland attached to the top. Now, admittedly, someone took the opportunity to draw this, but what the person who wrote the question is, does the Bible say anything about that? Or is this merely the idea of men? May I again say that even middle school science books, as far as I was able to tell, they all present this. Our youngsters are faced with this. It is such that it is enforced upon them by way of appreciation. And we're going to ask tonight, does the Bible say anything about this? Now, clearly the word Pangea does not occur in the Bible anywhere. So clearly that idea, that name at least, even if the Bible does describe this, that name men have selected and chosen. Let's go back to the previous slide and ask the question that are asked there. So did God create the land masses together at some time? And they, in fact, divided sometime later. And is that the division spoken of in Genesis 10.25 when it says the earth was divided? Was that the idea? If so, we would certainly wish to know that that's the thrust behind Genesis 10.25. But if not, we might want to know what does that verse teach and what might well be under the description that's there. And so as you close that particular slide with me, could I just ask... If the land masses were all together at one time, what caused them to be divided? Did God use a particular measure or a particular forcefulness, if you will, to bring that about? Well, at this point, having seen the two maps, first, this one, the continents as they present day appear, and then this map, where again we at least imagine that there is some kind of togetherness to them, could I point out that at least the person that drew this map, do you notice where the equator is? Now, we recognize that as the division point, that point in the tropics wherein we see a nice division of the, the fullness north and south. 
it was drawn here in such a way that if there was a correctness to Pangea, it is such that it was basically separated almost equally for the most part at that point. Now I would ask that we also ponder, if God made it this way, where was the Garden of Eden? And where thus would Adam and Eve have been placed? We may revisit that a little bit later in the lesson tonight. For right now, all kinds of good questions. And so again, the person who asked this has asked enough to point us into a number of interesting considerations. The first thing we need to do is revisit the language of the creation as presented and to in fact ask some rather interesting and directed questions concerning the reality of that description. And so you'll notice at the top, isn't it true that earth was formed on day one? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And so here on day number one, we find a consideration touching the fashioning the creation of earth. And then on the days that follow, we remember light also on that opening day, the firmament on day two, the seas gathered together on day three with the appearance of the land forms or the land appreciation. And of course, the remaining days follow in the order that you and I know so well. But you'll note near the top of that, in the opening three verses of Genesis chapter 1, there's a statement made that reads like this, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. But you may notice there was an immediate reference to these waters existed somewhere because the Spirit of God was brooding or at least existent upon them. Again, we've already noted earth had been created. The nature, the character of the planet was in place. However, it was void. Now that word has to do with a consideration far beneath that which the form would finally be. At that point, it was disorganized. The fullness of its land masses and otherwise were not yet brought into their essence and reality. In fact, it would appear that waters is that which covered everything. But on day two, you and I remember a firmament. And God expressly described it in words like this. Verse number six, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. There was now to be this separation, a division, if you will, in which verse 7 describes it like this, God made the firmament and the waters which were under the firmament were divided from the waters which were above the firmament. This firmament thus that existed divided waters that again were in appearance beneath from those that were in appearance above. You and I would call those waters above more likely a sense of cosmos or outer space. These waters beneath, again, were covering the planet. But day three was going to fix that. You may note again the wording of verse number three. I'm sorry, the wording of the description of day number three. Beginning in verse nine. God said, let the waters under the heaven, so that's the waters under the firmament, be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters called He seas. 
and God saw that it was good. Now, on the slide, I've invited you to note with me, the text expressly says that the waters, days, uh, verses 9 and 10, the waters were gathered. Specifically, it says, the waters under the heaven were gathered together unto, watch it, one place. There's thus a description of a oneness of place concerning water. Now, you and I all know that water, of course, will seek. It flows downhill. It'll seek the lowest consideration of any linking or connecting areas. May I suggest to you that in the references you can see on the slide, that verse, verses 9 and 10, appear to strongly suggest that if there was but one sea, there would have been but one land area as well. Otherwise, it seems hard to imagine how it could have been called one sea or one area in water. It would appear thus that that pair of verses, as the slide would suggest, would seem to suggest that maybe this idea is very much biblical, that there was a single landmass. If that be true, note again the wording. God called the dry land earth. Notice it was singular. He did not use a plural description of this. This unity, this oneness that's there is called earth, and the gathering together of the waters he calls seas. That is plural. That's fascinating. A singular word used to, to describe the land, a plural word used to describe the seas. That's not all. He went on to say, in verse 10, God saw that it was good. And furthermore, let the earth, note again singular, bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit yielding the tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. I would suggest to you that seems to strongly indicate that the land masses were together at the time of the creation. Now, if you at least appreciate that point, notice how the slide then could conclude. I've asked you to notice that this idea that men have thus had about Pangea, the Bible never calls it that. There's nothing about the usage of that term. What is called here is merely earth, dry land. That allows us to close the slide then. If the land masses were created together at that time, clearly they are now separated. What caused the separation? When did it come about? And by what nature or character did it come to pass? The next slide will at least bring us some thoughts, some ideas about it. Let me first of all, though, make a suggestion. Those same science textbooks to which I referred earlier, they have a description in there of the features that went along with their supposed separation. I wonder what the scientists say it was. We'll, of course, ask at some point, does the Bible say that it was also the same thing? Scientists, in fact, geologists, well understand the fact that the continents are in motion. North America, South America, Asia, Europe, they're all in motion because they are resting upon plates which themselves exist upon the surface of the planet. And those plates are in motion. Now suffice it to say, the plates are moving very slowly. I've asked you to notice on that slide. Current measurements indicate that these plates are moving at about one to perhaps two centimeters per year. Put that in language you and I recognize, that's about an inch per year. 
So think about moving an inch over the course of a whole year. That's about the average rate at which the continents are currently moving. And so what scientists thus are quick to do is to extrapolate backward in time. Now we can easily ascertain how far North America is, let's say, from Asia. Across the Pacific Ocean, that would in fact be the distance I've asked you to notice on the slide, 6,122 miles. And the question then becomes, moving at the rate of an inch a year, how long would it take you to move 6,122 miles? You can easily get the idea. It only takes a simple calculation to conclude it would take 659 million years for the planet, or rather for the continents to be that far apart if they're moving again about an inch a year and they're currently 6,122 miles apart. And so our geologist friends will tell us the earth must be multiplied millions of years old. The earth must be multiplied length of time in order to get that kind of separation that exists today. You and I now need to ask the question, the same one that closes that slide. You and I know, you see, that the geologists are using this uniformitarian idea. The idea that might be phrased and described like this. We, in fact, appreciate that which takes place today and simply infer backward in time that it has always been this way, and therefore that's why so much time is required. The issue, however, is a far different one than that for those of us that believe the Word of God. We aren't interested in the claims of geology. We are interested in the teaching of the Bible. And so what does the Bible say about the nature of the, of the land and the separation? If it was true that Genesis 1 taught that these land areas were once together, then what caused them to separate? The next slide will invite our consideration to this. There is no single indication anywhere in the Bible of any event that would have caused that separation until we arrive at Genesis chapters 6, 7, and 8. Suddenly there we arrive at what appears to be a description and presented in sometimes rather direct fashion is a reference to the dividing of the land. Let's revisit those three chapters then and ask rather carefully what is presented. You've probably already begun to think about what those chapters present. It is the flood of Noah's day. You and I recall that the earth had become rather evil, so much so that the thoughts of men's heart was only evil continually, to borrow the words of Genesis 6 verse 5. And yet, in the aftermath of that, we find that God made determination that He would bring a flood of waters upon the earth. A flood of waters. Of course, as chapter 6 would go on to describe, He did that very thing. You may notice on the slide, that something that God determined and something that He said takes us to chapter number 6, verses 19 and following. It was the statement, you see, that the ark was to be constructed. And these verses read as follows. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing, 
after upon the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Question. God there says, Noah, take aboard the ark two of all of these unclean kinds of creatures. Question. If Antarctica is where it is today, how'd the kangaroos get there? They've had to cross the ocean somehow. How did the platypus of Australia get there? It would have had to cross the ocean too somehow. What about the animals that exist in Canada? How'd they get there? A very good question could be this. You see, if the original land masses were together, there would have been no problem for any of the animals to get to where the ark was. They could have traveled it across land and arrived there with no difficulty. That's just an interesting side observation. Maybe a consistency to the fact that all the land masses were at one time together. But you'll note the next thing on the slide. What is it that is described as the flood came to be reality? Genesis 7. May I direct your attention to verse 11 of Genesis chapter 7. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. You and I are quite comfortable with water, of course, pouring from above in the form of rain, perhaps even a great deluge in terms of a tremendous amount of rainfall. But that isn't the only place from which the water came. The text, in fact, first describes in verse 11 that the fountains of the great deep, and notice it says all of the fountains, not just some of them, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up. And that immediately begs the question, doesn't that describe for us that in caverns and spaces within earth, there was a breaking up at this time? by the express measure of the work of God, and water gushed out from those caverns, those spaces, those regions. As those fountains of the great deep were broken up, doesn't that somewhat remind us about some of what our geology friends indicate today? This plate activity where the continents rest on these plates, and that which held them was broken up. That would indicate perhaps volcanic serious volcanic activity that ripped asunder the plates upon which those continents were resting and water gushed out from it in tremendous amount. If that was the source, at least in part, of what's described in Genesis 7 verse 11, we can begin then to see this would have easily been a time when there was not just an inch movement per year, but there was a tremendous separation that happened in a very short amount of time, rupturing some of the issues and the plates upon which the continents were resting, and they began to move apart very, very quickly. The landmass under a description like that would have been separated notably, extensively, and quickly. You'll note near the bottom of that slide, it would appear thus that there are some additional statements later in the Bible about certain things that appear to have been connected to this. Could I invite you to notice the 104th Psalm? 
In Psalm 104, we have, again, much later, the psalmist making these observations. Early in that chapter, the psalmist pointed out, may I begin in verse number 6, Thou coverest it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. That's a reference to the flood of Noah's day. The waters were above the mountains. But then he says this, At thy rebuke they fled. At the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains. They go down by the valleys unto the place which God has founded for them. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. Now among the things listed are a number of features connected to the flood of Noah's day, but among the other matters we see that there was at the time of that flood, perhaps again connected to volcanic activity, a very clear reference to a place carved out of the character of the planet where the waters of the flood could flow to. There were lower places, depressions if you will. We all know water will flow under gravity downhill to the lowest place to which it has access. That text identifies at the time of the flood, God maybe with His fingerprint almost, we can imagine it, He carved into place maybe by virtue of the separation of these continents a place to which the waters could go. Maybe that's another reference reminding us about the division that took place. Now, if that particular division is described that way, that leaves us with one final observation. Eddie read for us tonight from Genesis 10. You'll notice that's not in chapter 6, 7, or 8. And yet in chapter 10 is a reference to the division of the earth. What's that division? May we read it again. It says, And unto Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg. For in his days was the earth divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. You might go ahead and take note the word Peleg means division. And so whoever the father was, or in fact the father is listed in the chapter, but he chose to name his son in a way consistent with the division of the earth. But remember, it was not the division of the continents. It was a different kind of division. I wonder what division this one is, and to what does it refer? Please note again when that text is provided to us, near the close of chapter 10, and the very thing that occurs in chapter 11. That which is the, one of the main matters of the 11th chapter is another division. It's the division of the languages at Babel. The tower that occurred there... And you may notice it would appear that Eber's lifetime, as in fact it's presented, that and of his brother, was during the very time God confounded the languages. And that's the division under discussion in Genesis 10.25. It's not the land masses. It's languages and the consistency that went with them. You may notice in that light that in fact sheds a little bit of a light on some of the conclusions of chapter number 11 how that God saw that people were all together in terms of their capacity and capability. And then He divided the languages at that time. As you close that slide with me, the confounding of the languages and the division that took place there has brought us then to a point of finality and conclusion with regard to our lesson. It would appear biblically accurate to say that all the land masses were together at one time the way God made them.
but they were separated as a result of the action of the flood. The forcefulness that's therein seen. And today, if you visit places like the Grand Canyon and even other tremendous areas like that on the planet, you have evidence, direct evidence, about the kind of forcefulness that's capable during a flood like that one. Much more, no doubt, could be said about that flood and the nature of some things we see on the planet that result from it today. But the fact still remains that the Bible does testify powerfully about the flood, and there is mention made of apparently a unity of the continents before the flood, but they've been separated since. So in that light, we conclude our lesson with those thoughts on that slide. It's been our desire to allow the Word of God to at least lead us to appreciate some things, and could we not say this? It is interesting. Our science textbooks speak about a Pangea. And although the Bible's consistent with that thought, it is not consistent with the way geologists tell us that it was separated. The Bible says God did it at the time of the flood. Our geologist friends say it's taken multiplied hundreds of millions of years for it to happen naturally. That's not true. The earth isn't nearly that old, in fact. The earth is nowhere close to being that old. And with that, let's close our lesson. We're always excited about the Word of God and the things which it can share with us and teach us and challenge us with. And tonight it's been Pangea and the continents and their movements and the separation that exists between them today. I hope we've each been better equipped than in light of the Bible's teaching to reflect upon this one question that we've considered tonight. So we'll look forward in September to another time of questions and answers. And please feel free to share your questions in that box again at the back if you wish to do that. Tonight there could be someone in this assembly whose life is not as it ought to be. And again, it's such that the Word of God presents to us in plainness how that we ought to live for the Lord, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. For He is our life. Did He not in fact expressly say, Without me you can do nothing, John 15, 5. Maybe you and I have come to realize our life is a mess. It's not because of the Lord. It's because of us. We've turned away from Him. We at once may have had a life directed as it ought to have been, and we knew the prestige and faithfulness that went with it. Tonight, you could come back to the One who loves you and to the One who gave His life for you. We'd be happy to assist you in that way by making note of your repentance and confession of sins known in a public way. We'd be happy to pray for you. If you've never become a Christian... What better day could there be than the 28th of August, 2022? That day, you see, the day that the Lord adds you to His church in baptism. That we could help you with in just a few minutes. If you need to express that by way of belief and repentance and confession and baptism, let tonight be the night that that's done. If we could help in any of these ways, Brother Larry has chosen this song of encouragement, and we're going to stand and sing it, and won't you come while together we stand and sing.